Titus chapter number 2 and we're back here in Titus and we have been absent for a couple weeks from Titus 2. Of course we were gone preaching, um, it seemed like we've been gone a lot preaching uh, here in the last few months uh, on Wednesday but then uh, of course we came back last Wednesday night and preached on that little maid and how God used her and uh, so we, we, last time we were in Titus 2 we were dealing with godly men. Tonight we're going to pick up there here in just a moment. We're going to pick up tonight in verse number 1 and read through verse number 5 tonight. So Titus chapter number 2, verse number 1 through verse number 5. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word and then we'll pray and you can be seated and we'll try to bring something from the Word of God that will help all of us, even though it might be specifically talking to a certain group of people. I believe all of, the, all of it is good. I believe the, all Scripture is inspired, right? It's given by inspiration and is profitable. That means it'll do some good for you. And so look what this Bible says, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Would you help us pray? Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord God, for letting us be here uh, again tonight, thank you for uh, the time of prayer that we've had already. Thank you for the time of praise that we've had. Be able to sing praises under your name. Thank you for the offering that's just been received. Thank you for people sacrificially giving to help further the gospel out in other places. Father, tonight, God, we thank you for a Bible. Thank you for the Word of God. I don't know where I'd be without the Bible and without, without guidance from the Word of God. And thank you for preaching and teaching the Word of God that has changed me and challenged me and shaped me and is still shaping me to who I'm supposed to be. God, I'm thankful. Uh, God, as the little song, the little children sing, he, you're still working on me to make me what I ought to be. And I know you're doing that through the Word of God. I pray, God, tonight you'd help me preach with power and unction of the Holy Spirit of God. Help me, Lord, to say everything I need to say. But please, oh God, guard me from saying anything that I don't need to say tonight. Help us now. We'll give all the glory to you tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the Word of God. I actually thought about it tonight before I came out here. As we preached on Sunday night, some red flags on the road to destruction. Preached on that on Sunday night. And we've heard a lot of feedback from that. And God help us uh, to make sure we're aware of those red flags in our life. Tonight, I believe, could be a kind of a, 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 a kind of a add-on to that because there's some things said in Titus chapter number 2 that could be some red flags for us to remember uh, to not to fall into. But, but let me just give you, make sure we're, we're up to speed on where we're at the book of Titus. Don't you understand Titus is what we call a pastoral epistle. And a pastoral epistle is written 
Uh, it is written to an individual, a pastor, but he's the pastor of a local church. And a church is a called out assembly of believers. Uh, believers that are called unto the Lord Jesus Christ, walking in an orderly fashion, bound together by doctrine. That is a church. Now there's a lot of places that have church on uh, their sign. Some people get mad at people uh, for taking church off the sign. I get glad about it, just to be honest with you. Uh, somebody said, I can't believe old so-and-so took Baptist church off the sign. I said, I'm glad he did. Uh, he wasn't a Baptist and he didn't have a church. Amen. Uh, somebody said, I don't know why they call it them one name place, them like Rock Bridge. I don't know why they do that. I'm glad they do do it that way. Amen. Because uh, they're not like us. Amen. They're not the same as we are. <laughs> we're a church and we're trying to be a church anyway. A called out assembly of believers called in the Lord Jesus Christ walking in an orderly manner of bound together by doctrine. Doctrine is the glue that binds us together. Thank God for that. And Titus is tasked with, the, with, a, uh, with setting the churches in Crete in order. That's what the Bible says in chapter 1 verse 5. For this cause left I thee, uh, I thee in Crete that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. And so Titus has a tall task of straightening stuff out. Somebody said, who called you down here to straighten stuff out? God did. God called pastors, uh, leaders, authority in the church uh, to set some things in order that are wanting. You say, oh, you think there's some things in wanting get here? I said, yeah, yeah I do. You say, why do you think that? Because this place is made up of a bunch of people and we are wanting people. But the church at Crete had some big problems. The church at Crete had some big things that Titus had to overcome. And I don't want to get all get into, into all that background. We preached all that again. But we are seeing, we're seeing in Titus chapter 1 and 2 that the church is to be set in order by this, maybe a missionary pastor, if you will. Uh, Titus goes in there as a pastor, and, and, and the idea is Titus is not going to stay long. He's going to establish this thing. He's going to set in order the things that are wanting. He's going to ordain elders and leave those elders there to remain the pastor there and the overseer of those churches. But here's what we're seeing in chapter 1 and chapter 2 is, while he is setting those things in order, a church will not remain in order without the leadership being in order. Amen. That's verses number 6 through 9 in chapter number 1. Hey, the man of God, the pastor in the pulpit has got to be a qualified man. And he's got to be a man of character and integrity and a man that God calls and God places these things in, in, in verses 6 through 9. I'm not going to preach on that again. I've already done that. But not only is the leadership to be in order, but the men and women that make up the congregation are to be in order. That's in chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. Matter of fact, this second chapter of Titus is all about the congregants of the church. The, the people of, maybe if we want to put an outline on the book of Titus, chapter 1 will be the pastor of the church. Chapter 2 will be the people of the church. And so the people of the church. Now, I said this already and I'm going to say it again. I believe, I believe the principle that most things rise and fall on leadership. Notice I said most things, right? Not everything, but most things. Because I also believe that many things rise and fall on followership. 
You could have the greatest pastor in the world and have the, and the, the most messed up church in the world. You could have the greatest pastor in the world and your life be a wreck. You say, I don't believe that. Well, you don't believe your Bible. Judas had the greatest pastor anybody will ever have. Jesus Christ was that man's pastor and he still died and went to hell. What about that? Paul established these great churches throughout Asia Minor and all that and he got, had churches like Corinth who had people do some very wicked things. He had places like Ephesus who had Timothy, that great man of God, but yet they still had to have things put in order. And here we are in Crete and Titus had to put some things in order. And so I believe this, it doesn't matter who the pastor is, if there are not godly men and women in the church, it, that church will not advance for the glory of God. I know some churches that they got great men in the pulpit, great men in leadership. God's called great men uh, to lead that church, but they got people who won't follow them anywhere. That won't follow the leadership of the Lord through the man of God, through the preaching of the word of God. And that church is stifled. That church has no spirit of God in it. It is dry, dead. And the man of God is, is, is struggling. And he has, he is, and he is, but watch this. And, 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 but does, on the flip side of that, I know churches that got good people in it and got dogs as pastors in it. Amen. It goes both ways. You know why? Because people are people. Amen. It takes both. It takes both. It takes all of us being right with God, to have this church advance for the glory of God. Now, to everybody tonight that will point their finger at a fallen or compromising pastor and say, well, uh, I mean, I can't believe they failed. I can't believe they compromised. Uh, uh, his actions, man, they, that his actions have really hurt the church. Let me say this. The same could be said. By, of men and women of the church who with ungodly actions and with ungodly speaking caused harm to the church. Probably, probably more harm's been done for Christ not by the leaders falling but by the many people in the church who have fallen and compromised. I don't know. I don't have a measuring stick out tonight. I'm just saying we're not above anybody. And none of us are above falling. And none of us are above compromising. Now I will ask you, I need, maybe need a move and a second and a vote on this, I don't know, but I wish to God if I compromise, somebody would shoot me. Brother Chris Hewitt is supposed to be outside my wife, supposed to be my closest friend in the world. He's my accountability partner. I preached on that on Sunday night. I told him years ago, I'm saying, Ted Chris, you're my real friend. He said, I'm your real friend, Brother Will. I said, I'm asking you, are you my real friend? I said, yeah. He said, yeah, I'm your real friend. I said, and I said, look me in my God-given eyeball. If I ever compromise on this King James Bible, the whole time religion, shoot me dead. I'd rather be dead than a compromiser. I would. I, I'd rather be dead. I mean, listen, I don't want to compromise. And I don't want to go to this worldly crowd. And I don't want to go the way of, of, of Satan and the way of this contemporary crowd or the Calvinistic crowd or the charismatic crowd or the carnal crowd. I want to go with God. I want to stay with God. That's what I want to do. So here's what we've got to do. We've got to strive together in sound doctrine to live godly lives for the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've all got to do it. Now, a couple weeks ago, we preached on these aged men. Aged men ought to be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. And I say this, we need a revival of manhood. 
a revival of biblical masculinity. A revival of men being men. And I, I don't, listen, I done told, I done said, I'm not preaching on men tonight. I'm going to get to where we're going. But I'm going to say this. We've got such a twisted idea of manhood. I'm sick and tired of this sissified, effeminate, lip-wristed, noodle-back, bunch of v-neck short-wearing, bunch of tight-clothes-wearing, bunch of sissy bunch of men. That's a sodomite if I ever met one. If you're effeminate, you're a sodomite in my book, buddy. I'm telling you, a bunch of lip-wristed, no, I'm telling you, we need some men. I mean, and I don't care what you look like. I don't care what, if you look rough or look tough. If you're a bunch of, if you're a sissy, you're a sissy. So how do you stop being a sissy? Get right with God. Get you a pocket knife. Amen. Go roll around in the dirt a little while. Go punch a, go, stop punching little sissy punching bag. Go punch the bark off a pine tree. Amen. Go get you a wooden axe and go chop some trees down. Hey, bloody your knuckles a little bit and be a man. Hey, and stop taking orders uh, from some woman uh, telling you what to do all the time. I said I wasn't going to preach on men, but I guess that's message number one tonight. Amen. I'm just telling you, we need some men. That will rise up and lead their homes in family devotions. That will rise up and lead their home in prayer. I'm telling you, young girls in here, and I'm some of our young girls ain't here tonight, but you young girls, I wouldn't talk to a boy that wouldn't pray and read the Bible with me. Amen. And boys, you ought to have enough God on you want to pray and read your Bible. Amen. And pray and read your Bible. Young lady, you might like that young lady. If you really, really like her, you'll read the Bible and pray with her. Amen. You ain't got to like that. I didn't ask you like I didn't take a vote whether he's going to like the preaching or not tonight or not. I mean, listen, that's right preaching is what that is. You say, you're so fanatical. Yes, I am. And if you don't want a fanatical preacher, go down the road. There's one probably in a V-neck and T-shirt teaching a little sermonette for the Christianette. Or get on YouTube and watch a little sissified preacher somewhere. Well, I'm telling you what, friend, we need some men to rise up and be men again. Amen. So we see the godly men. But let me get to where I'm going here. It says in verse number three, the aged women. Tonight, I want to preach on the godly woman. A godly woman. The aged women. Now, let me say something about this aged woman. I, didn't, I don't know what age that means. But Hippocrates, Hippocrates, I can't think, even say his name right. That dude that wrote way back then. He's, he's back, back in those days. He said in those days they considered aged 50 year old and older. I don't, know, I don't know if that makes you feel good or feel bad. I'm only 35, so it don't bother me at all. I don't know. All right? I feel, somebody asked me the other day, he said, ain't you 48? And I said, yeah, I, said, I feel like 48 years old. I don't know what, I, but I believe this is more than a number. I believe this aged woman is more than a number. There's a bunch of woman, women with a lot, big number by their age, but they're not aged. They're not godly. Amen. They're not godly. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you what fires me up. It's somebody to think that they deserve respect just because, and, I, and I, listen, I believe we ought to respect elderly. I believe we ought to respect the senior saints. But watch this. That crowd who just wants to kind of just do whatever they want to because they got a little gray hair. That's wicked. That's ungodly. And I'll tell you, I looked at one of them the other day, and I said, sir, I said, I don't know who you are. I said, but I, I know you're my elder. I said, but you're not going to talk to me like that? And you're not going to look at me like that? I don't care how old you are. And I said, I'm going to tell you, buddy. I, and he said, you young. I said, no, no, no. I said, don't you blame young people. I said, what would you do to raise your kids for God? 
Listen, I'm telling you something. We don't demand respect just because we've got an age beside our name. And a godly woman is more than just an age beside her name. There's some things, there's some requirements. We're going to see that here tonight. Here's what it says about these aged women. That likewise, so we could go back, and I'm not going to rehash all that. Verse number two, she ought to be just like, she ought to have them same traits as that aged man, but there's more to it for a lady. And look what he says. Likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Well, that's something not preached on today. Holiness. Holy. You know what the word holy means? It means to be set apart. It means to be sanctified. Watch it. It means to be different from the rest. The, the word means to be set apart from everything else that is normal. Everything else that is regular. Everything else that might be accepted by the common person. Uh, uh, holiness is set apart from that. Here it is. A, a lady who becometh holiness has immediate entrance into the presence of God. I'll tell you what we need at White Graves Baptist Church is holy women in the church whose testimony is distinct. People know who she is. People know whose she is. Uh, we need women who spend time with God, who are not given over to gossip, who are not given over to ungodly speech. Uh, women whose very presence gives the evidence that that lady has a walk with God. Becometh behavior as becometh holiness. Her behavior matches what she says she believes. Her deportment matches what she says her doctrine is. She don't, she, don't carry NI, she don't carry a King James Bible and live an NIV life. Amen. She, she doesn't say, well, I believe the Bible, but I live every way contrary to it. No, she becomes holiness. D.L. Moody said this, A holy life will make the deepest impression. A lighthouse does not blow a horn. They just shine. A lighthouse does not blow a horn, they just shine. And we need women, and I say we need men that just shine for the glory of God. Hey, listen, I want you to notice a couple things tonight. About one, number one, the legacy of a godly woman. The legacy of a godly woman. Number one, she's an honest woman. Notice it says this, not false accusers. False accusers. That phrase means prone to slander. It means uh, slanderous. And I want you to notice this. The word slanderer is used 35 times in our Bible to describe the devil. Slanderer. 35 times to describe. Watch this. There's, no, there's nothing more devilish. There's no, nothing more devil-like than maliciously gossiping about someone else. There is, there is nothing, listen, when you engage of slanderous conversation, you are engaged in the work of the evil one. You're being associated with what the devil's doing. You are occupying, you are, you are in the occupation that the devil's in. Y'all remember, he is the accuser of the brethren. He's slanderous. He is a slanderer. He is, he is a false accuser. See, godly women refuse to be a part of a slanderous or demeaning story 
about somebody else. Church, a church must, a strong church must have women who, who, who do not, who are not willing to receive and repeat just anything that comes down the pipe. We're going to be a strong church. We can't have false accusers. Here's the problem with false accusers. This is, this is gossip, by the way. This is, we would call it gossip here. Here's why the Bible uses that strong phrase, false accuser. Because most of the stuff you're telling, you don't know if it's true or not. You haven't done the Christian thing to go talk to the person in the first place. You're telling stuff that you, you've got from 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 10th down the line. You have no idea if it's even true. You've not talked to anybody that is directly involved. Well, I just heard this. Well, I just saw that. And listen, I don't care. I don't care if it's in conversation. And through text messaging, on a phone call, or through the Facebook, Instagram, whatever, TikTok, Twitter, all that other stuff, I don't even know, all that other stuff either. Gossip's gossip. Slander is slander. And falsely accusing people is no way for a godly woman. Let me read this little thing I found. It says this, my name is gossip. I have no respect for justice. I maim without killing. I break hearts and ruin lives. I am cunning and malicious and gather strength with age. The more I am quoted, the more I am believed. My victims are helpless. They cannot protect themselves against me because I have no name or face. To track me down is impossible. The harder you try, the more elusive I become. I am nobody's friend. Once I tarnish a reputation, it is never the same. I topple governments wreck marriages, and harm churches. I make headlines and headaches. I ruin careers, uh, I, I ruin careers, cause sleepless nights, heartaches, and indigestion. I make innocent people cry. I am gossip. Even my name hisses. I am gossip. That's exactly what false accusers will do. Listen, no church is a strong church where gossip abounds listen to me where gossip is taking place somebody's getting hurt somebody's getting hurt I believe one of the hurts and harms that false accusing in churches will do is is making a barrier for those that get out to get back in the Bible says ye that are spiritual if our brothers overtaken in the fall ye that are spiritual restore such a one but many times there may be some spiritual people in the church, but there's a, there's a lot, they're, they're outnumbered by the gossipers in the church. That if the person is trying to be restored, there's been so much gossip told on, nobody knows what to think about, and nobody receives them like they ought to. I take them, I don't need a move or a second. I'm a veto, a presidential veto right here. God help us not be a church like that. Amen. God help us not be a church like that. False accusers. That's what it says. That's what he said. A, a godly woman is not a false accuser. Number two, she's not given to much wine. Now, I'm not going to say a whole lot about the wine part because wine is a mocker. Strong Drake is raging. Woe unto him that gives his neighbors drink. Woe unto him who looks on the wine while it moves. Listen to me. Listen to me. Strong drink 
is wicked as the devil. Alcohol is sinful. If you take a drink of alcohol, you are sinning against God and you're sinning against yourself. Amen. And we have it in our church covenant. You are not to partake of it or to sell it. And we find out you do, you'll be excommunicated from the church until you get right with God. Amen. I didn't put that thing on the wall. Y'all did that before I got here. I just preached on it. I believe it. Amen. You hear me now? Listen to me now. Alcohol is wicked as a devil. It's ruined too many homes. And you ain't going to find these bunch of liberal, these liberal, liberal, liberal bunch of podcasters and YouTube influencers put their little stu- alcohol's okay and these little, these legalist preachers. I am a legalist preacher because I'd rather be legal than illegal. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'm against alcohol because God's against it. Amen. So what's it talking about here? What's it talking about? It definitely ain't talking about strong drink. That's so stupid. I mean, I don't even have, you don't have to even go in the Greek and lexicon to figure that out. You can study enough in the principles of the Bible, this woman ain't to be drinking no kind of strong drink. Here's the idea. It says not given. She's not given. That word given means to be enslaved by something. It means to be controlled by something. This godly woman is not controlled or bound by any substance. She's not controlled or I just can't make it without this. I just can't make it without that. I just can't make it without that. If you get right with God, you can. Not controlled by substances. Not controlled by things. Not controlled by things. She's not given. She's not in bondage. She's not enslaved to things. This woman is not given to much wine. Then it says this. She's a teacher of good And you'd think that goes without saying. You'd think if we've got a chapter in the Bible speaking to the church, speaking to the women, you'd think it'd be a given that they were teaching good things. But hey, guess what was happening back then, just like happened right now? Women and men both ain't teaching good things. Hey, listen, you may think you're not teaching anything, but if you're not teaching, if you're not, if you're not, Oh man, I just lost more. If you are not intentionally teaching good things, you're unintentionally teaching bad things. You listen. We have got to be intentionally teaching good things. Teaching good things. Now what's teaching? Teaching that which is good. Now most women have a natural desire to teach. They have a natural desire to, to teach that younger generation things they have learned. It's just built in them. John Wesley said this, he said, I've learned more about Christianity from my mother than all of the theologians in England. A mother has a wonderful role in teaching her children. See, a godly lady is taking good things and passing them down from generation to generation. I'm going to deal on that. The rest of this message is what she's supposed to be teaching. But let me say this, what do you want to be remembered for? Ladies in our, in, our, in our room tonight, whatever age you are, what do you want to be remembered for? Do you want to be remembered of a, as a teacher of good things or do you want to be remembered of a sower of slanderous gossip? You know, y'all know some people like that. Hopefully you're not that person. And if you don't know nobody like this, chances are you're that person. Don't tell them. Telephone, telegraph, tele, whatever their name is. You tell them, everybody's going to know. You say, I don't know about that. Probably you. 
Probably, well, why don't nobody ever tell me nothing? Because they know everybody will find out if they do, if they tell you. Right? Do you want to be known like that? Do you want to be known as somebody that's always talking negative about somebody? Hey, do you want to be known as a teacher of good things? Do you want to be known as a loud and brawling woman always upset? Or do you want to be a woman who helps others and teach others good things? Your choice is yours. Well, you don't know my life. Nobody knows the Bible. You don't know what I'm going through, but I know the Bible. You say, you're insensitive. No, I'm just trying to, the Bible, the, the Bible trumps all of that. Number one, her legacy. Number two, the love of a godly woman. Look at verse four. That they may teach the young women, and then there's a list here we're going to go through. That they may teach the young women. Now watch this. If the aged women are going to teach the younger women, they've got to possess what they're going to teach, right? You've got to know. And, and listen, when you teach something, and those of you that ever had to teach something, you, you don't really know it until you have to try to figure out how to teach it, right? You ever teach a Bible class, and man, you think you got a grasp on it, but then when you're trying to figure out how do I teach this to somebody, you really got to know what you're doing. That's why many, somebody will say, well, I, it's just easy for me to do it myself instead of telling somebody else because you don't, you don't really know how to do it. Oh, yeah, I do. No, you don't because if you really know how to do it, you can teach somebody else how to do it. If you really know how to do something, you'll tell, watch this, aged women, if you're going to teach these things, you've got to possess these things. And look what they are. Here's, and I'll say this, this list is, watch this, is exactly opposite of everything society tells a young lady to be. This list is exactly opposite of what the public school system is teaching these ladies to be. It is exactly opposite of what the, whatever the tabloids is today, whatever Facebook, Instagram, and all that stuff is teaching these young ladies to be. It is exact opposite of what the world says. And watch this. And here's what the teach mean. It means to, to train others in self-control and to train others in the ways of God. Number one, to be sober. That means to be serious. Women, this whole 90s idea of the blonde, stupid woman, ditzy woman, is so far from the things of God. Y'all know what I'm talking about? This clueless woman, just kind of out in space, whatever, all that kind of stupid junk. Boys, you better run from a girl like that. I'm telling you, you better, I mean, I mean like run, like block her, like block her number. Like, don't talk to her. I mean, treat her like she's got the play. Treat her like she got cooties and you're still in pre-K. Right? I'm telling you, if that girl ain't serious, she's so and, and she's so clueless, then let her be clueless. I mean, get get away from that mess. Hey ladies, we ought to be serious. Now, I don't think y'all will be just stone cold, but there ought to be a seriousness to a lady. A sober means to have a right thinking. Sound thinking. Sober, that's what it means. Then watch what it says. I've got to hurry because I've got to move through this list. Then it says to love their husbands. You'd think that'd be a given, don't you? You'd think a Christian young lady would love their husbands. But this, this, this older lady is to teach this young lady you're supposed to love your husband with a Christ-like love. You're supposed to care for the needs of your husband, to affirm that love and encourage that love and appreciate that love. Hey, listen, marriage is to be, should be a completing relationship, not a competing relationship. Hey, this goes both ways. Women are supposed to love their husband, and husbands, you're supposed to love your wife. Hey, you're supposed to tell them. Somebody say, well, I told them on my wedding day, ain't that enough? No, 
It ain't. There's times I'm like that. Mama's like, you ain't told me you love me all day. I was like, I thought going to work and coming back was saying I love you. Right? <laughs> I mean, I thought putting money in the bank so you could spend all of it was loving you. No. And there's times she's got to put me in check about that stuff and say, hey, baby, come here. Give me a smooch or something. I'm like, well, I mean, I'm working. You know what I mean? What's well, men are different. Now, some of you men might be different. I don't know. But I'm just like, you just do what I ask you to do. That tells me you love me enough. She ain't like that. You got to be told. And guess what I got to do? Tell her. But watch this. Us men folk need that too. You know what men folk need? Men folk don't need a bunch of nagging. You know what men need? Men need a wife that will drive on the golf course with him in the golf cart in the 17 holes that he absolutely, I mean, stinks, buddy. I mean, it is awful. It, she don't say a word. But the one time he finally drives it down the fairway, she says, well, that's the best shot I've ever seen. She don't, she don't go on to say, now, granted, I've never seen a shot before. <laughs> you know what? What I'm saying is, ladies, your husband needs encouragement. He does. He may, be, he may seem like an old tough guy. And watch this. He, if he's any kind of man, he's going to say, oh, you ain't got to tell me thank you. But I'm going to tell you what, it'll rise up in him, buddy. You say, thank you for being a godly husband. Thank you for trying to lead us in the things of, of God, keeping us right with the Bible. Hey, loving your husband. And then, loving your children. A lot of people think they love their children because they let them get their way. A lot of people say, well, I love my children. That's why I don't never tell them no. I love my children. That's why I'm trying to give them a bunch of freedom. Do you love your children enough to impart truth to them? Do you love your children enough to set up boundaries for them? Do you love your children enough to develop leadership qualities in those children? I don't have time tonight. What time is escaping us? But I can go to Proverbs 31. And that, that stuff Solomon's right now stuff his mama taught him. Do you love your children to teach what is wrong and what is right? This liberal idea has crept into our churches to say, well, I just want them to figure it out on your own. That's not God's will. God has never intended a child to figure out wrong and right on their own. God gave them a mama and a daddy to tell them what's right and what's wrong. To tell them what's good and what's bad. To teach them. And th- hey, listen, just earlier in, our, in, in the, 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 the book before Titus and Timothy, Paul saw something in, in Timothy's mama and grandma, and he said, they taught it to you, Timothy. A godly woman is teaching. She is loving her husband. She is loving her children. Henry Ward Beecher said this, what the mother sings to the cradle goes all the way to the coffin. Well, there's some things, I was talking about it just yesterday in Bible class. About the stuff, some stuff my mama told me. When I thought I knew it all. I thought I had it figured out, man. I was the man of the house. Daddy left and I was 10, you know, so all of a sudden I thought I was the big man in town, buddy. I was the man of the house. I was doing all this stuff, and I was, you know, and I was, I was, I was working a job, and I was going to school, and I, I was working out three times a day, and, and then I was a big dog in, on campus, and I was a big dog at home. I was glad, I was, I, I, but, 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 but I, and I thought I knew, and then I was the preacher boy. I know more Bible than you. 
I'm the preacher boy. I'm in the pulpit. You ain't mama. Now, I never did say that stuff out loud because my mama bust me in the mouth. Thank God. I had a rough mama. Thank God for it, though. I'm glad my mama wasn't scared to whoop me when I was in high school. I never forget. I got to tell a story. I never forget one time she said, I can't whoop you, boy, but I'll knock you out. And you know what? I believed her. Amen. You said, that's child abuse. I turned out okay. I wish you'd done that. To some of y'all need to do that. Some of your kids. Amen. Listen, the greatest influencer. It's Wednesday night. I'm ready for bed. Y'all ready? I got one more point. Greatest influence of our generation is mothers with children training them. That's the greatest influencers in this generation. It's mothers with children training them. I see the love of a godly, I see the legacy, but lastly, let me begin the lifestyle of this godly woman. Now, now listen to me, men, you know, men, this is our things you ought to encourage your wife, your daughters to be. But young men that ain't married, there's a bunch of you in here ain't married yet. These are the things you ought to be looking for. Watch this lifestyle. Number one, to be discreet. That's what verse number five says, discreet. You know what the word discreet, that idea of discreet means has a saved mind. It means this, she's got common sense. She prioritizes things. She's got discernment. She knows how to make right decisions. She's got sound judgment. Watch this, she's in control of her thinking and her actions. Well, there ain't many, many young ladies like that. Control of their thinking and their actions. They always something sparking something else. Always blame shifting. It's everybody else's fault while they do what they do. Everybody else's fault while they think what they think. No, 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 no. No, no, that is a woman that's not discreet. And listen, aged women, you're supposed to be teaching young women that. You're supposed to be pouring into these young women to be discreet. Watch this, to be chaste. That word chaste means pure. We need morally pure women in this generation. We need women that are modest in their lifestyle and modest in their dress. That's what chaste means. It means to have a modest lifestyle and modesty in, in morals, modest, a moral purity, purity in morals, modesty in lifestyle, and marital faithfulness. Here's, here's what the be chaste means. She's got a healthy sense of shame at saying anything, doing anything, or wearing anything that would bring shame to the name of Christ. That's what the chase means. I'm telling you, there's women that say stuff, they, they, they don't think about it. There are things that ought not be said in mixed company. You listen? There are things... Women, you ought not talk about when men are around. And men, likewise. Well, we've lost that, haven't we? And I wonder why we've lost it. It's because daddies ain't got a backbone no more. And mamas are letting all the liberties go. And preachers ain't got a backbone. Don't say nothing about it. But I'm going to say something about it. There's just stuff y'all talk I was asking a woman today. She's expecting. She's great with child. I said, how much longer? She told me how much longer. I said, well, we're praying for it. And then she started going to go get me details. I said, whoop, whoop, whoop. I walked off. A man don't even know that kind of stuff. That's improper. That's immodest. That's not chaste. There's things you ought not say. Things you ought not do. Hey, things you ought not wear that are immodest. Hey, man. Hey, 
they chase has to do with the lifestyle of this woman. Purity. I say this. Men, and I'm going to preach on it here in a few Sunday nights anyway about modesty in our apparel. And it goes for men and women. You ought to ask God what he'd have you wear. He ain't going to let you wear something that's, that's immodest. He ain't going to let you wear something that's, that's attra- is attracting attention of somebody else other than himself. These girls, these girls just wearing any old thing. Amen. Yeah, you just wonder what I mean by that. Hey, I still believe a lady ought to wear a dress or a skirt that covers her knees. Amen. Amen. And it ought not be tight and form-fitting. Amen. These pencil skirts are out of hell. Amen. You ain't got to like this. I didn't, again, it's, it's getting late. But, I, but I'll say this. These boys need to put some clothes on that fit. In the 90s, we was fighting about them bagging and hanging off the rear end. Now these boys wear clothes so tight, I think they stole it from their toddler boy, brother's closet. That's a sissy fine. Good grace. I'll be honest with you, I'd rather be fighting the crowd with the baggy britches in the 90s than this, this looking like sodomite crowd of the 2020s. Amen. I'm serious. I'd much rather a dude have parachute pants on than a bunch of skinny jeans. I'm preaching on women. Let me get back to it. <sighs> to be chased. <clears throat> to be ch- Watch this. This is, this is fighting words right here. Watch it. Wow. Keepers at home. Whew, that's fighting words, ain't it? 1968, 37% of women were working out of the home. 2011, 65%. Wonder if we're better off or not. You just tell me. Here's what that means. Her first priority is the home. Her first priority is the family. If the man of God is supposed to be given to hospitality, he ought to have a home he could bring him home to. Amen. Hey, I'm going to say this. Thank God I had a pastor that preached on women keeping the home. And I'm glad. I'm, and my wife says she's in the nursery. She says, man, but I'm glad for a pastor that would preach on that women ought to keep a home and keep it right. Amen. Hey, listen, these women sit at home all day and got a pigsty for a home. That's, there's no excuse for that. Nastiness for a home, that's no excuse for that. Amen. If the man of God is supposed to be given the hospitality, he ought to be able to bring folks to home and not have to walk over a bunch of mess in his home. I knew I wasn't going to give a bunch of amens by that, but I ain't looking for amens. Amen. Her first priority is home and the family. I tell my wife all the time, I'm mean to my wife, y'all need to pray for her. <clears throat> I know how to iron clothes. I taught her how to iron clothes right because I'm OCD. Her daddy ain't. Her daddy kind of taught her how to use iron, but I said, now this is how I want mine ironed. And I'll say this, she does a wonderful job. She's a, I, love, I, I love my wife. She used to do a whole lot more ironing before I had three kids. But here's what she'll say. She'll say something about not having time to iron my clothes. I said, well, I ain't got time to iron my clothes. I said, but if I go out of the house, they ain't going to think bad on me. Hello? If I go out of the house wrinkled up, they ain't going to look bad on me. It's going to look bad on the woman taking care of me. And you can think that's male showing so on. I'm just Bible. I'm just Bible. I, I had a preacher one time, I looked, and his whole suit just looked like he had just, it looked like he had packed it all in one of them little sacks and just pulled it out and put it on. He is all a mess. And I said, brother, what are you, you look, you look awful. And uh, he said, oh, brother, I ain't worried about it. I said, man, you're making your wife look bad. He said, What? 
I said, man. I said, he said, no, it ain't her fault. I told her not to worry about it. I told her she didn't have to do nothing about that. that ain't, ain't nothing bad about that. I said, well, she ought to hit you with a fire and frying pan and iron them clothes anyway. Because that makes her look bad. And I told her, I said, she, he's making you look bad. I know, I know. I've, I've learned to be a little bit more cuthful. Y'all can tell, ain't you? Let me read this. Nancy DeMoss said this. This is a book called Biblical Womanhood in the Home. Here's what she said. In contrast to the wise woman, the foolish woman is not content to be the keeper at home. She's not satisfied where God has put her. One of the things that the feminist movement has done successfully is stir up discontentment with being a homemaker and convince that other pursuits will increase their, self, their sense of self-worth, fueling discontent and pushing women out of the home in search of greater meaning and satisfaction has created off-the-chart stress levels for many women who many of them only survive on pills and therapists. The greatest spiritual, moral, and emotional protection a woman will ever receive is found when she is content to stay within her God-given sphere. That is not to say she never leaves her home, but it is to say her heart is rooted in her home and she puts her family's needs above all interest and all pursuits. Now, if you don't like a man preaching to it, that was what a woman said. I'm just quoting it. <laughs> Last two things, good. It says it's good. Just the word good. She's good in nature. Just give you this, and, and we're done. I promise you we're done. James, James chapter number 3 says this about it, 317. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. Can I ask you this, ladies? Are you easy to be entreated? Does your husband have to walk on eggshells around you? Does your, does your children have to walk on eggshells around you? They're afraid to come talk to you because, because you're not peaceable. You're not gentle. You're not full of mercy and good fruits. You hold grudges and you hold things against them the rest of their lives good in nature and lastly obedient to their husband that's another fighting word it means that means to arrange under it means not inferior but it means a supporter of it means to support him. it, it means it, it don't mean to be manipulative or condescending there's been many a good men be pulled out of the will of God by a woman How many of them? How many of them I've heard of recently? That the wife would give them an ultimatum. You get out of the will of God. You get out of doing what God's called you to do or I'm going to leave you. And the man's got enough character. He steps down from that pulpit to go try to save his marriage. That woman will answer to God for that. I've heard of two in just the last couple of months. And there's more than that, I know. There's many of men that are being held back from serving God because they've got a, got a woman who, who don't want to be obedient to the will of God. Let me say this, pulling away from church, pulling away from hard preaching. I just don't like that hard preaching. I don't like them standards. You like standards everywhere else. It's amazing the preachers say something about your dress and everybody gets brought up. 
go to Walmart, they don't just let you dress any old way to work there. They let you dress any way to come in. But, <laughs> but to work there, well, they say, you got a dress code to follow. You go down to the carpet mill, and they say, you got a dress code to follow. You got military folk in here. You go to the military, they, you got a dress code to follow. I don't know why telling me what to do. Obedience. And here's the reason why. I know. Here's the reason why, verse 5, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Why should I? Why should I? Why should I? Here it is. That the word of God be not blasphemed. Listen, ladies, and this goes for all of us, but and, and we've already dealt with men, but ladies, if you don't practice the principles of verses three, five, 3, 4, and 5, you are blaspheming God. You're saying, I know more than God. I'm going to do my own thing. But watch this, you're also, you're also giving other people opportunity to blaspheme. See, that's this whole thing about Christianity. It's not about our glory, and it's not about us getting our rights. It's about God's glory. And here's our job is to make Christ known in this world. And you're not going to make Christ known not living according to what he's told us to do. Now, I didn't make this stuff up tonight. To be honest with you, I could have been a whole lot harder on it. But this Bible's right. Men, this Bible's right. You ought to be sober and grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. And ladies, this Bible's right. You ought to have behavior that becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. You ought to teach young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. That the word of God be not blasphemed. As I said, we need a revival of biblical masculinity. And I say we need a revival of biblical femininity. You know what we need at White Grace Baptist Church? We need some of the older men to teach these younger men how to be godly. It may not be in a Sunday school setting. We want, to teach them, we want to teach them some principles of the, of, of the world, like working and trade. and stuff. That's good. But what about the Word of God? You know what we need our older ladies to do? I need, you, I, need you to take women, I need to take these younger ladies up and teach them these things. Teach them these things. We've got them doing a lot of things that are good things. We've got, we got people. I, I'm going to tell you what. We've got a great church. I really believe that. Listen to me. When I preach this kind of stuff, it ain't because I, I If you think I'm shooting at you, about anything. You, you think I'm smarter than what I really am. <laughs> I ain't got no axe to grind. Even the pointed, mean statements I make, I ain't, I ain't shooting. I'm telling you what I'm doing. I'm trying to protect us. I'm trying to throw some red flags up. Because as good as we, we good, as good a direction our church is going, it wouldn't take much to derail us. It wouldn't take much to get us off track. It wouldn't take much for us to all Go the wrong direction. But you know what it's going to take? It's going to take the leadership being right. It's going to take the membership being right. Let's pray. Father, we love you.